had a great week here this past week. I'll share a few of those things that have taken place. Glad to have our online community with us and connecting. Um, awesome. Last Wednesday, we celebrated all of our servant leaders and uh, thanked them for making it happen. All the ministry at the door, greeting, coffee, tech, camera, worship, kids, just a lot of things going on on our campus. And I just want to say a great big thank you. Would you just help me? Voice appreciation and thanks to everyone who's serving and leading by example as a servant. So we had a great time of celebrating on Wednesday and just wonderful, wonderful things unfolding, particularly over these next weeks, and we'll, we'll get into some of that. But we've been in this discussion about the various books of the Bible and where Jesus is in each book. My objective in this is that you'll be able to find online each book and the history and context of the book and where Jesus is in the book as you're reading your Bible. I think it's important that you not just hear me preach about the Bible, but that I empower you to study Scripture yourself. Uh, really important element of, of our faith being strong. So what we're going to do is find Jesus in Ecclesiastes today. And it's a unique book. This is one of the most unique books of Scripture. I believe it's one of the most misunderstood. This and the book of Job, which happens to be in these five uh, books of wisdom and poetry that we're looking at are two of the most misunderstood uh, books in Scripture. And I want to help you understand something about Ecclesiastes today as we evaluate this from a unique angle and hopefully from an enlightening perspective. But understand this, Jesus is revealed in Ecclesiastes uh, as the one or the wisdom that comes in and rescues from a fallen posture of complete frustration. And let me explain. Uh, this is the, the, about the frustration of living in a fallen world. How many of you believe if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we'd be a lot better off? Right? Uh, but because of the fall of humanity and the fall of mankind, it, it positioned the world to be in a totally different atmosphere, spiritually speaking especially. Uh, and Jesus is the wisdom of God that comes into the fallen frustration of life that's a result from sin, and he completely conquers it, absolutely overcomes that frustration in life. So this is really unique because last week we looked at Proverbs. And if you remember Proverbs, uh, there were some unique aspects of where Jesus is revealed in that. But the thing that we saw was Proverbs is like a field guide to success. If you want to know about success in finance, success in relationships, uh, then you can study that out and find basically clear steps to finding what success is all about. But interestingly enough, as we look at the progression of Scripture, the book of Ecclesiastes follows this book about how to be successful. And Ecclesiastes uh, helps us understand that the problem, this is your first blank if you write it in, the problem with success is that it never satisfies your life. I am going to thoroughly convince you of that today, perhaps more than you've ever been convinced by what I'm going to share. Success will never satisfy your life. So here is this pointless existence that's completely frustrated and absent of any purpose beyond the temporal world. And, and the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is giving us a unique picture. So vitally important that you get this pop quiz. Are you ready? This is your pop quiz. Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Who's the author of the book of Ecclesiastes? Anybody know? Solomon, King Solomon. Say it with me, King Solomon. Let's say it together, King Solomon. That is really important that you understand. This is not just average Joe, 
off the street, writing the book of Ecclesiastes about frustration in life, even though you gain success because of his incredible success. He's kind of an expert, okay? So King Solomon was the king of this very powerful and prosperous nation. Think about this. He had more wealth, more power, and more fame than any of us in the room and all of us in the room combined will ever, ever, ever even come close to having. Like, this is King Solomon. Kings are different. You know, kings don't have the same perspective. I heard about this golf pro, and he was invited to go uh, and play golf in the Middle East by a king in the Middle East who tracked golf, and this was like his favorite golf professional. Actually invited him to come, and he accepted the invitation. The king obviously sent a jet, private jet, to pick him up, take care of him gets him over and plays golf, spends a couple of days, and is about to come home, and the king goes out with him as he's about to get on his private jet again, the king's private jet, and, and he tells him, uh, I want to give you a gift. And the golf pro is like, you know, you, you sent your jet, you took care of me like royalty, I, I'm a, I've had an amazing time, you've done enough. And the king said, no, I insist, I want to give you a gift. So the golf pro just kind of thinks, and, and he said, you know, I collect golf clubs, Um, as a golf pro. So he tells the king, how about a golf club? King says, done. Gets on the plane. He's flying home. Now think about this. The king is going to buy you a golf club. And so he's thinking in his mind, this is going to be like perhaps a solid gold. Can you imagine what kind of club this king is going to buy or prepare for uh, this golf pro who's found great favor with him? And so time goes on, like he's not heard anything from the king. And finally he gets this letter in the mail, certified letter. He opens it, and in the the letter is a deed to a 500-acre, 18-hole golf club that the king has given the golf pro. Okay, how many of you know the king doesn't see things the way normal people see things? Okay, get it in your mind. The author of this book is not somebody who is not in touch with everything the world has to offer. I mean everything the world has to offer. King Solomon had experienced that. And this is the way he starts. This is his chipper introduction, okay? Like you got everything. How many of you know that would surely make you happy if you had everything? This is his chipper introduction from a man who truly did have everything. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 3. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Here's the first word he writes. Meaningless. <laughs> this is where it all starts. Like he has everything. And what does he say? Meaningless. Meaningless. Exclamation. I mean, this is a powerful statement that he's making. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What's Everything. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? This is not just somebody who doesn't know what it is to have everything. This is somebody who clearly knows what it is to have everything. And his conclusion of having everything is that it's absolutely, utterly meaningless. The question, Solomon, everything? Like, are you talking everything? Money? Fame? Fortune? Solomon's response, Everything. Marriage, relationship, everything. Everything under the sun 
is meaningless. And he uses this word meaningless 38 times in the course of these 12 chapters. Like he's serious about communicating the meaningless disposition of life, what he describes under the sun, which we'll see in a moment. But he, he used this to describe pleasure, laughter, partying, building, planting, developing parks. Develop, I mean, you think of all the nice things. If you had a lot of money, what would I do? I would develop parks. I would develop gardens. I would develop reservoirs, herds, flocks, silver, gold, singers, entertainers, like a thousand women all available to him anytime, 700 wives, 300 concubines. He could like have breakfast with one, lunch with another, dinner with another, all through the course of an entire year and not get through everybody, right? I mean, like, can you imagine 700 wives? You know what the worst part of 700 wives would be? 700 mother-in-laws, no question about it. That would be a challenge. So he had everything. Like, I mean, we need to understand the vast everything that we're talking about. And then we start to recognize he's an expert in everything. And he calls it all meaningless. He goes on and he explains this in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. He just keeps saying this over and over, uh, chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Important phrase, under the sun. Now he uses that term, under the sun, 29 times in these 12 chapters. Life under the sun he's referencing is temporal life without eternal priorities or eternal value. I said last week, today's message strikes at the core of depression. Let me ask you a question. I, I want to just get your feedback on this. I did this in the first service as well. If you're here and you have struggled with some form of depression in your life, would you just raise your hand real high? Just hold them up there, and I want us all to look around, and I want you to understand, you are not alone. Okay, this message strikes at the core of depression. You can have everything the world has to offer. You can have anything the world has to offer. And you're still going to find the same thing Solomon discovered, who like had more than any of us will ever experience. It's all meaningless and means nothing. I, on behalf of, of pets around the globe, I want to ask you, stop dressing them up. I, you know, they are not happy. I mean, I have a point to this, but pets are not happy when you dress. Your dog never aspires to be something more. It just wants to be a dog. So like Thanksgiving came, and, and this person dressed their dog up like a turkey. I mean, can you just look? Can, I want you to look in that dog's face. Look at the shame. That, that dog is not aspiring to be more. He's ashamed. Okay, Christmas is coming. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, don't do it. I just want to say, don't do it. Look at, look at his face. He's not happy. Okay? Pets do not dream about another level of life somewhere. Now, contrary, now I'm talking about the beasts of the field when I'm talking about it, but contrary to the beasts of the field, contrary to animals... If you take a towel and a clothespin and you put it on your son or daughter, 
they will suddenly become Superman or Wonder Woman. How many of you know? I mean, there's just something in humanity that causes us to be awakened to a life and a call that's beyond where we are. Animals don't have that. I have a weenie dog named Copper. Copper never sits around dreaming, if only I could one day be a great big horse. That's never in his mind, okay? There's probably very little in his mind, in all honesty. But, but he never is, like, animals don't, they just seem to be perfectly content with, with what they are. You are not. I am not. There's a reason for this, and it's revealed in the book of Ecclesiastes. But before I even tell you that, you need to understand, life under the sun at its best will never fulfill your life. Success will never fulfill your life. We must discover something beyond the reason of our mere existence to really explore what truly living is about. Here's the key that I believe unlocks this concept in every one of us, and King Solomon writes about it, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God has, e- has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in the human heart. Listen, there's not eternity planted in the heart of animals. Animals are not created in the image of eternal God. Uh, but and I know all dogs go to heaven. I'm sure you know everybody's got that in their mind. Uh, I'm not discussing any of those matters. We can talk uh, pet theology another time. But my point is simply, the Bible clearly says eternity is planted in your heart. If you don't discover if you don't discover eternity and the purposes of God on an eternal level, you're going to spend your entire life absolutely frustrated, feeling it's all meaningless, and giving yourself this constant sense of absolute depression. What is it even worth? Listen, God made you for more than that. There's something powerful in you. Something powerful in you. I want us to agree and just hiss the enemy away right now and declare the purposes of God are going to prevail in our hearts and our lives. Why don't you just break something right now in your place of worship? Why don't you just break something off of the people around you as we agree for the purposes of God to prevail in Jesus' mighty name? I showed up to experience what God wants us to experience today, and I want nothing less. I want everything God desires for us. And it's going to require something of us to experience the eternal purposes of God revealed in our lives. And that's your next blank. Only God's eternal purposes revealed in this temporal life can move us from merely existing to truly living. Merely existing, truly living. Who wants to live? I want to live. But let's understand something. Because it's pretty challenging. Jesus' mission cost him this life. You get that? Like Jesus' mission cost him this life because his mission was not this life. You need to package all that up in an understandable deposit that you walk away from here with today if we're really going to grasp what God's trying to reveal through this particular book in Scripture Jesus' mission cost him his life because his mission is not this life, and your mission is bigger than your pursuit of a great life under the sun. Your mission is bigger than that. 
You can pursue this thing. You can build businesses. You can rake in bucks. You can build guard. You can do all kinds of things. You're never going to compare with the incredible wealth, fame, and fortune that King Solomon possessed, and you'll come up with the same conclusion he did on your futile effort, meaningless, unless you discover the eternal priorities of God and embrace those in your life. Now listen very carefully. God wants your life to be awesome. There's a great verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, for I know the plans I have you, declares the Lord. They're really good plans. That's basically what it says. That's the NIV, the Nisant-inspired version, okay? They're really good plans. But what you need to understand is God wants your life to be awesome, but it is not his plan for you to pursue an awesome life for yourself. It is his plan for you to provide an awesome life for other people. That's what's awesome. Now, let me say it again. Receive more than just the information. Let's embrace the impartation. We want to experience the things of the Spirit when we gather like this, not just have a motivational preacher get up here and talk. God wants your life to be awesome. But it is not his plan that you pursue an awesome life for yourself, but rather that you provide an awesome life for other people. Now that is awesome. Ecclesiastes reveals this very clearly. The futility of trying to pursue a great life for me isolates me, reduces me, marginalizes me, positions me to be in a place where all I'm trying to do is achieve my greatest potential. I want to say to you, contrary to what your culture has told you, stop pursuing your, your potential and start discovering your call. Your potential that you discover could actually be a distraction and a misappropriation of your resource. What has God called you to in your life? Many greatly successful people are missing the call of God because they're caught up and spun up in attitudes and ideas of success, and they don't understand the eternal value of their existence. How am I doing today? You getting it? Man, I want us to embrace this. This is pivotal for us to truly make a difference. I love the way the message puts uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, and let's just be honest, and, and, and it's not bad. We want to live well. Let's just stop right there, and let me ask, how many of you want to live well? Can I just see? I mean, the Bible endorses it. It's not saying that's wrong, okay? Don't get me wrong. God wants you to have an awesome life. But it describes it. We want to live well, but our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. That's what Paul's saying here. We all want to live well, but our greatest priority, rather than trying to get everything we can for ourselves, should be watching other people come into a greater awareness of the generous nature of God, of the loving nature of God, of the sacrificial nature of Christ. And you know, when you help somebody, and they, how many of you have ever done this before? You help somebody get out of the pit. Help first, who's been in the pit before? Can I just see? You've been in the pit, and somebody gave you a hand up, right? They helped you out of the pit. When you watch somebody, and you help somebody get out of the pit, and then you see them turn around and start helping other other people out of the pit, come on, there's something about that that is awakening the purposes of God within us, and suddenly we begin to realize why we are here. Our celebration this last Wednesday night with all of our servant leaders who, who make it happen was just an incredible night. Um, we had a s'mores uh, Station, you go over Rosh Mars Mellows and make s'mores. We had a Mexican food 
station. We had a soup salad uh, style station, a burger station. We had a hot chocolate station. Uh, I mean, it's just an exquisite night. It's a wonderful time of celebrating. And that night, we'll post this online for you to be able to watch. We did a uh, 20-minute recap of the year and a lot of appreciation voiced in there. Some of you who weren't able to make it, your name was mentioned in that. So you want to take a look. But we've, we've kind of just brought it down to like, like a three-and-a-half-minute expression here of the year in review in ministry that's taking place. And, and let me just say, hats off. I mean, a lot of people have worked really hard, loved, served, given, sacrificially made it happen so that this year could be such a wonderful year. And, uh, and so I want us just to watch this. We, we broke it down to three-and-a-half minutes, and then you can look at the full one online. But at the conclusion of this video, will you join me? The words will start scrolling, and and let's just celebrate what the Lord has done in 2015 this far. So this year's theme and focus, 2015, is take someone with you. Great idea. Take someone with you to coffee. Take someone with you to church. Take someone with you to community group. Take someone with you on vacation. Ultimately, the goal is take someone with you to heaven. Bye. found in faith alone, Jesus Christ alone, by your word alone, by your grace alone, I'm found in faith alone, Jesus Christ alone, I was lost in rest. Faith. 
what it is that unlocks the amazing life, making it happen for others. And when you make it happen for others, God then begins to make it happen for you. And the more mature we get, the more we're making it happen for others because we genuinely want it to happen for them, not because we're expecting something in return. Come on. Let's just thank the Lord. You know, that guy at the very end of the video, he's got his issues, but that statement is powerful. I mean, honestly, the more mature we get, when we do make it happen for others, God makes it happen for us, but the more mature we get, the more we make it happen for others because we want it to happen for others, not because we're trying to get something out of it ourselves. It's maturity. It's just what God's trying to take us into. And you know what? As a church family, our gathering is so purposeful and part of our assignment of eternal proportion all the wonderful things that we have the opportunity to be a part of in our community. We had this uh, craft fair going on here yesterday. People everywhere in the back part of the facility, all kinds of stuff taking place. Um, you know, a few years ago, the mayor called, and he said, you know, we do this Christmas tree lighting every year, and basically, I get up, and we celebrate lighting the tree. And he said, just between you and me, we all know Christmas is about more than lighting a Christmas tree. And I thought I would just call you and see if you and your church might be interested in being a part of sharing the real meaning of Christmas. So I had the privilege Friday night, and our worship band was a part of it, of emceeing this event. And my commission by order of the mayor was to stand up and tell people about Jesus, which we did. And in the process, got to hand out gift cards from Walmart that the city provided and, and turn the kids over to all the gifts and things that were going on. Uh, you know, honestly, the Lord's just given us great entrance in a lot of ways. The orphanages that we work with internationally, locally in our community. Uh, Pastor Chris involved in leadership, DelQuest program uh, that, that has, it's not church sponsored at all, but somehow we just started getting asked and invited to be a part of these planning meetings. And ultimately, now I'm a speaker in that event every uh, year, and Chris takes the whole team through the three days and ends up on the state capitol floor of the Senate and celebrating these kids that have gone through all kinds of leadership development. I just want to say God's given us great entrance to make a difference. And folks, our gathering needs to be about lifting up King Jesus, finding ways to put boots on the ground and make a difference. Every one of us in our everyday lives has to be our plan. God has brought our family together that we might serve him and leave the world a better place. Isn't that a great commission? We want to leave the world a better place. I just want to say as your pastor, I want you to hear me say this. In a world where the whole idea of prosperity gets so corrupt, because there are a lot of people manipulating that reality. It's a reality, but a lot of people manipulating it. And I just want, to hear, I want you to hear me say it to you today. It is God's will that you be blessed and it is God's will that you be a blessing. It is God's will that you be blessed. Will you just receive that? Like you, many of us in the room have just come up with all the reasons why we really don't think the blessing of God should be in our life, right? How many of you are really familiar with your weakness and your failures? 
Listen, I just want, I got some good news for you. Jesus on the cross is why God wants to bless you and is released to bless you. It has nothing to do with your success or your failure. Once you give your life to Christ, he sees you through the blood of this king who died that you and I might live and experience the eternal nature of God in a profound and powerful way. It is God's will for you to bless you. And in addition, in that place of being blessed, it's God's will for you to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, this is kind of an interesting journey I want to take you on. Out of this Ecclesiastes focus and just getting an understanding of this, the supernatural order of things, you know, God really knew that we would land here together as a group, as a family, in a society, in the Western world, in this generation, in this era of time. Have you know that there are no accidents with God? You're not an accident. Your mom and daddy might not have planned you, but you're not an accident, okay? Somehow God set it all into motion. It's amazing, but you're an assignment from God. And like the generation you are called to serve is part of the assignment, and the culture that you were born and have grown up in is part of the assignment. And, and God knew that you and I, that we would be gathered here in this era of time, in this generation, serving him in a culture that is utterly inundated with materialism. Did you catch that? God knew that we were going to be here serving him in a culture that's absolutely inundated with materialism. And throughout the ages, God has tried to reveal how to break the spirit of materialism that has you know, tried to emerge in many ways over many ages and many cultures. And there's a plan to break that spirit of materialism. How many of you would like to know what it is to truly be free from this, this greed mindset that the culture tries to feed us, right? We want to move into a place of greater freedom in this regard. And this is really what it boils down to. Tithes, offerings, and sacrificially giving has always been a part of God's plan for God's people. For God so loved that he gave. And love, true love, gives, not just gives, gives sacrificially. Learning to make a difference in the world around us is a really important part of experiencing the generous nature of God. And this idea of tithing, I just got to tell you, I struggled with this as, an, as a young Christian uh, when I first was trying to get this perspective uh, in my own life. And, and, and uh, I, was, I had asked Tracy to marry me and... Uh, and, you know, it was a unique time for me because I was graduating with a degree in business, and uh, I had these offers to go and work, and, and, and I felt like the Lord was telling me, no, no, it's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stay an intern in the church and raise your salary, raise your income, like write letters and invite people to support what I was going to do that year and explain why it was important. And so, man, that's kind of hard because I was getting married. And like I went to her dad, who's a professional business owner, college professor guy, and started saying, you know, hey, I'm going to marry your daughter. And, um, and, you know, he asked me the questions that I'm going to ask some punk who comes around my house. Can I get a witness, dad? And so, uh, you know, he said, how are you going to take care of her? And I said, well, we're going to trust the Lord. <laughs> how many know love don't buy bread? I said, I'm just believing God. And, and I turned down these job offers. And he's thinking, boy, she got a winner. And so I went into this thing, and you know, the first month, I, I got to tell you, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> like, it was a test of faith. The first month, I factored my hours at the conclusion of the month and went in and talked to the pastor who was leading this, and I said, man, I'm not sure how to, I mean, this is crazy. I, I factored my hours and the amount of money that I'd raised, and then I had made less than $1 an hour. Woo-hoo! And I, at that point, that's just when I felt like the Lord was saying, 
that he was challenging me to a very deeply spiritual decision. And this is where we miss it. I'm not talking, when I'm talking about giving, I'm not talking about a financial decision. I'm talking about a deeply spiritual decision. And I came to, revolve, I came to resolve that I was going to honor the Lord in this very important principle, not a law. Very important you understand that, and I'll explain it. But the word tithe means 10%, and I just began to honor the Lord with whatever came in, giving 10%. And in the course of less than the full year now, I raised more income than anybody had in the history of the program. God began to pour out his blessing in an amazing way. I just want you to know it is God's will that you be blessed, and it's God's will that you be a blessing. You really can trust God. And from that day on, Every year of my 25 years of marriage, Tracy and I have practiced that principle of tithing and giving to honor the Lord. And I, you know, I just want to take a little bit of time here, and, and I explain this pretty thoroughly on the, the blog. I'm not going to go into it too much further, but you, know, you really need to get familiar with where this is in Scripture. And if, you're, you know, if this is just like you got this, then just a few amens here and there will be fine. Those of you who are kind of sorting through this still, then let, you know what, let's just let God speak to our hearts. Let's really get what he wants in the midst of all this, not what anybody wants to try and convince you of, okay? Just really vital to understand. This is not just about you. It's about your children, your children's children. It's about next generation legacy, really embracing what God desires. Here, here's the thing you need to understand. We all need to understand this. Tithe, offering, and sacrifices have always been a part of God's definition of worship. All throughout the ages, tithes, offerings, and sacrifices have always been. I mean, you know, we live in a society that's gripped by materialism, right? And so when I start talking like this, materialism starts trying to have a conversation. I just want to silence the conversation of materialism and declare the conversation of God today. It is God's plan that we rise above the materialistic mindset that Solomon so embraced in the book of Ecclesiastes that he found to be so meaningless, there's more to live for than that. And this is a part of worship. Worship, where our tithes, our offerings, our sacrifices, it's worship to the Lord. It's why we're doing away with buckets. Like, we're not passing buckets anymore. You can invite your friends and family, and we won't pass buckets to receive tithes anymore. Because we want people to step into a greater posture of maturity and really understanding that this is a worshipful expression. You know, communion tables are set up every week. You're aware of that, right? It pops up on the screen. Go back and have communion. You can go as a family. You can go as friends. We still receive communion together from time to time. And all focus, you know, as one big family. But every week it's available because we want that to be something that's meaningful and worshipful. So perhaps if you're a giving station style giver, then you know during worship, go back and make it an expression of, I bring this before my God because God has brought all of the blessing into my life. I'm not giving because I'm trying to talk him into something. I'm giving because I am blessed, and I want to honor him. So uh, this is a blank you need to get, just writing all this in so to make sure I'm not, I, I omitted one in first service, and people are afraid they don't go to heaven if they don't get all the blanks sometimes. So they like tackle me after church. What was the blank? So learning about and participating in the generous nature of God is very important to our lives, our legacy, and our world. Very important. And, and here, this is the thing I want to just make sure everybody understands. Let me just apologize to you on behalf of church leaders who have misrepresented this topic. I want to apologize to you on behalf of church leaders who have misrepresented this topic. There are church leaders today in our generation in this materialistic uh, society, and let's just be honest, where the love for money drives our theology. 
and we need to break that. And there are those that are leading ministries that will stand up and say something like this. If you don't give, you're operating under the curse. And I actually had somebody in our church, they said, you know, I didn't give for a couple of months and nothing bad happened. I mean, I went in and I started tithing again. But listen, you've been told wrong if you think God's like waiting to smash you. And if you miss your giving, bang, you know, that's it. That's not, that's not the way this works. And I know where that's coming from out of Malachi and the you know, whole thing of, of the rob from God, tithes, offerings, law, expression of all that. But, but you need to understand something, folks. Tithing, has, it's not the law. Okay, Tithing was reiterated by the law, but it's a principle. Tithing is a principle, not a law. And, and there are pastors now that call me their pastor. And when I go to speak at their church, if anybody gets up to receive the tithe and offering and starts talking this kind of vernacular, I have a conversation with that pastor and explain, now, pastor, let me pastor you in something. We need to make sure we're being theologically accurate in what we're doing. It's a very important principle. So you can look up the verses. I'll give you kind of the thread of where they're found. But understand this. The reason we know tithe really isn't about the law is because Abraham tithed to Melchizedek before the law was ever given. And we find that in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, clearly written out on the blog if you'd like to see it. And then we find multiple places in the law that reiterates the tithe. So the tithe was something reiterated by the law, a principle that was very important to God. Deuteronomy 14, 22, Malachi 3, lots of places. But then Jesus said something really interesting, Matthew 23, 23 in the New Testament. And he said, do not neglect the tithe. You should not neglect the tithe. This is Jesus. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And the law was only the expression of the nature of God embodied in commandments that became all those legalistic expressions. And then Jesus came not to do away with it, but to fulfill it that we might have a greater understanding of what really the generous, loving nature of God is all about. How many of you know God has always been like Jesus? It was just not until Jesus came that we realized God was like Jesus. He's always been loving, merciful, wonderful. I mean, it's an amazing progression when you see this overall story. And then we see just a continuation of this. Paul later would endorse to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 16, speaking to the Christians saying you're to give a sum of money in keeping with your income. Here's the thing. The word tithe simply means 10%. And let me just reiterate. Tithes, offerings, and sacrifices have always been a part of worship. I want to establish a legacy for my life and for my kids as a part of this church that we would give and we would make a difference and leave the world a better place. Final verse I'll give you. It's an interesting uh, description of the purpose of this whole concept of giving and worshipful giving. Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. So gathering and contributing to the greater mission of God's kingdom advancing in the earth is an important part of what we're doing. Our, you understand, our worship is that. Like our singing is impacting a, an overall atmosphere. Like according to Solomon in Ecclesiastes, if all we're doing is having good singing, it's just vanity. It's meaningless. But if we start to punch through and understand there's something of eternal value. Hey guys, I don't know if you realize it or not. But our song actually attracts the attention of heaven, and God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we worship, the crime rate in our city goes down. Do you understand what I'm saying? Abuse rates go down. Stuff's still going on. I don't know how to explain all of that. I hate it that we live in a fallen world. But I'll tell you this. This city is better because we're here lifting up the name of Jesus, and we're going to give him our very best every day of the week. 
That's just who God's called us to be. And when we gather in our worship, we're affecting all kinds of aspects of this. And that whole thing of materialism, that's your last blank, tithe breaks the grip of materialism in our lives. And we must have that broken. So you can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you. It's just not true. You can take it with you. But you've got to understand what true riches are about. True riches are relationship. Do you agree? True riches are the people that we're connected with in our lives. Like, I, I mean, I've had the unfortunate opportunity to be with a lot of people now in their final moments of life. Let me just say, every one of us needs to prepare effectively for the final moments of our life before we get to the final moments of our life. Would you agree? Because I've never, this is what I've never, and I've talked to a lot of people now in the final moments of their life, people like fearful, I've believed all my life, but how do I know that this isn't really real? You know, how, how do I know? And, and like, I mean, asking me lots of questions as a pastor, things that are kind of beyond my league when they're asking sometimes. But, but here's the thing I've never heard. I've never, in all those moments, of time, I've never heard anybody say, Pastor, I just wish I would have worked more hours. Pastor, I wish I would have bought more cars. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have had a bigger house. Oh, if only I would have had a bigger house. Nobody says any of that stuff. You know why? Because those things aren't the true riches. And when we come face to face with the reality of the temporal nature of this life, we get it. So let's don't wait till we have to come to that place before we do understand. True riches are about relationship. That's the thing people say. I wish, listen, listen. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. True riches. Here's the thing, guys. My family and I are going to spend all eternity meeting and enjoying people who might not have made it to heaven if we hadn't sacrificially loved, served, and given to see them make it into heaven. We're going to spend all eternity exploring the true riches of relationship. You can take it with you if you understand what it really is. So ultimately, if we, don't devote, if we don't devote ourselves to the greater purposes of love, just here, I know I'm saying a lot of stuff to you today. I'm, I'm trying to be a good pastor. And let me just tell you, this is a tough one. How many of you would agree this is a tough one? Like the temptation for pastor and leaders to deviate from such conversation because you don't want people to think, oh, just after money. Or, I mean, it's the world we live in. But this is an important element for every one of us to embrace and understand, and I have an obligation that, that I might pass you forward in the full concept of truth. And you've got to make those decisions in and of yourself. But, but please hear this statement. If we don't devote ourselves to the greater purposes of love, we confine ourselves to a self-serving existence. And we were born for more than that. We were born for more than that. Lord, I thank you that today is really about something so, so much bigger than any individual concept we're talking about. All of it comes together to produce worshipful expressions of life. And all of it begins with our understanding of who Jesus is. And the loving, giving nature of Christ, awakened and alive within us, causes us to do crazy, sacrificial things because we care about other people. Just with your eyes closed and your heart open to the Lord, if you're here and you say, 
you know, I'm just not serving Jesus, and I know I'm not right with God. I just, I want to devote my life to Christ. I want to embrace the cross of Christ. I want to, he's the Savior of the world. Listen, each one of us individually have to come to that decision to say, he's not only the Savior of everybody, he's the Savior of me, and I accept that. If that's you today, then I want you to slip up your hand. Anybody in the room? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? today you say, you know, honestly, I've not participated in the giving nature of God the way I know he wants me to. And I just, I'm not asking you to do anything other than just admit that and allow the Lord to start to give you direction step by step. But if that's you and you know God's dealing with you in this area, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you today. Thank you. Yep, yep, yep. Lots of hands. Thank you. Yes, sir. Lord, I thank you that we're all on a journey and we're all just trying to find our way. And I pray that out of today, there'd just be some sense of a step forward in the right direction. Uh, But ultimately, I pray every one of us would seal the steel and understand it's your love for us that awakens us to your purposes. And I I want to ask if everyone will just pray this prayer, Lordship prayer, declaration of Jesus prayer. Would you agree with me as we all say this out loud? Those of you who have not prayed this, you've not received Christ, then this is your opportunity to do that. For the rest of us, it's just a declaration. We're going to grow further in our relationship with the Lord. Let's all say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, you're the giver of life. You came, you lived, you loved, you served, you gave, and you died but you are alive. That giving nature, that loving nature is awakened in me. In Jesus' mighty name, you're the Savior of the world. You're my Savior. Be my Lord. Come on, let's just celebrate. Wonderful Jesus. He's faithful. He's a faithful, faithful, faithful God. desires to take us beyond a meaningless existence into a meaningful place of life. So what I want to do, I actually watched, I told uh, Bailey before church, I had, uh, in fact it was Dave Fulford sent it to me, a clip from 1998, a Christmas presentation of the kids and like Shay and a bunch of people that are now adults. Uh, we're all little bitty kids in the in the clip. I'm gonna have to pull that out. We're gonna I'm gonna tie that into a sermon sometime. And Bailey comes out. She's all like dancing and singing and and uh, you know it's just amazing. We all the years of faithfulness, all the years of service, all the years. I want to just say thank you, church family, for here we are in this new facility that once was the tornado relief effort building. I mean we've made great progress. And over the years, like Sister Russell's in the first service, she walked on all this ground before there were any buildings here, believing and declaring, and and one building at a time, we've built it to here. How many of you know there's going to be a skywalk over 29th Street? There's going to be a home for unwed mothers on that 70 acres of land. How many of you know we ain't finished yet? There's still some things to accomplish. We're working on completing the upstairs for our high school over there, for our, uh, our kids' area down here in the lower level. Lots, some, some things still wrong, and one step at a time. But since we're no longer doing buckets, 
then I want to introduce you to a few styles of giving that you can enter into just in your faithfulness so that those things continue to happen. And uh, we just trust God with all of this. But what I want to ask you to do today, we're going to all drop our pledge cards in the giving station. And uh, I had a few people in the first service who said, I'm going to give, but I didn't want to write a pledge card. That's no problem. I, I want you to understand the basis of this, okay? Let me just give you an explanation. We take the pledges and we factor that number and then we make projections for the next year so that we can continue to offer support to the orphanage in Beijing and you know different things that we do, local community ministry, things along those lines. So you're, we're not asking you to do anything other than what is in your heart to do and write that on there if you're comfortable with it. And uh, if you'll take that card now and go ahead and do that, in a moment we're gonna begin to worship. And as an expression of worship, if you brought your tithe offering today, you want to give that. But the pledge card, if we'll make our way back to those giving stations and drop those in, then I want you just to come back. We're going to enter into a little bit of worship together as a family, have some important things to share with you as we conclude today. But take that pledge card in your hand, and let's just stand together. We just want to honor Jesus. Listen, I want to just honor Him. That's all I want to do. I never asked the pastor of church. He just asked me to. So I'm doing the best I can. we got a great team of people that are helping me see it more correctly as we go. All of us are just on a journey trying to find our way. Let's find our way together in a loving, serving, giving, compassionate, gracious way as we fulfill what God has in store. So, Lord, we love you, and I pray that as we press in and just enter into this expression of worship, we know with certainty throughout all the ages tithes, offerings, sacrifices. It's been a part of the worship, a part of what you describe as worship. So as we make our pledge and our projection of what it will be to participate in the sacrificial nature of God together as a family, Lord, we want to do that as an expression of adoration and affection for you, that your kingdom would expand in our hearts and in our world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.